So I have not prepared my questions. I just want to settle into talk with you for 20, 30 minutes. And, you know, we are putting the show that we did a few years ago, which really lays out the notion of ambiguous loss, the myth of closure. But but what I want to just reflect on with you this morning very directly is what does ambiguous loss mean um, in a global pandemic? Well, I, it means essentially the same thing that it meant on the individual and family level, but suddenly it has this global meaning, which I never intended uh, until the phone started ringing, so to speak. Uh, yeah. The emails came in uh, with the pandemic saying, isn't this ambiguous loss? So as a theoretician, I was delighted that uh, people, journalists and ordinary people put it together. Uh, that's that's a dream that an academic wants, is that whatever you do is useful to the general public. Yeah. Um, but then I began thinking, of course, it's ambiguous loss, um, but it's more abstract. And it's beyond the individual or family now. It has been raised to a higher level. Right. To, to help us make sense of this nonsensical thing that's going on, this invisible enemy. Mm-hmm. So so we're kind of going through a a global civilizational moment of ambiguous loss at, at a societal level. Yes, we we uh we have lost indeed we have lost our freedom to go about our day as we always have. Uh, we have lost our freedom to visit with our loved ones or to have lunch yeah. with dear friends. And and um, I must say, again, because the school thing is coming up, um, the young people have lost uh, not only a year, it may be two years uh, of what they usually do is go to school in the usual manner, make friends, mm-hmm. socialize, learn, learn. And uh, that generation will have to carry that the rest of their lives. Um, I, I f- I'm finding personally and, and picking up um, uh, um, in others, obviously this is not a you know, scientific uh, study I've done, but it feels to me in myself and in others um, that... We, I've, I've kind of hit this moment, I don't know how many months we are on now from March, but... Too many. Like, yeah, certainly. But certainly in March and April and May, there was a sense that, you know, this will end, right? That this is something we have to do so that we can get through this. And even things that got canceled got rescheduled for 1st July and then September, October... And I feel like what's it's really settling in now, the, the losses. And they're large and small, as you say. I mean, I mean yes. people have lost loved ones, but there's also this loss of going to the office, of, yes. yeah, of certainty like your kids will go to school. I mean, you know, my son didn't really graduate from college. Um, some of these things... Um, people will bounce back from. You know, I, I actually really trust that our kids 
who knows how this will affect them? It 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 might be just you know transformative in 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 generative ways that we can't imagine, and yet. There are all these losses, large and small, all at once, and we're carrying them individually, but we're also carrying them in the same at the same time. Yes, I just wonder how for you this stretches open this note because this is ambiguous loss, but it's in a form you perhaps could never have imagined, and it's happening to you too personally. It is. It is. Um, as you know, I'm a caregiver um, for my husband, although I have help which is why I'm talking with you right now. Yeah. Um, and that that went quite well because I could get respite by going out for lunch with friends or going for a walk. You mean before the pandemic? Before you were, you the were pandemic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then the pandemic hit. And um, caregivers are finding that um, they can't, they don't have the freedom they had to take a break. Um, you're stuck inside, and and that makes it doubly um, stressful, I think, for caregivers, including myself. So, so I've heard you say that it's one thing to write the book about this, about ambiguous loss, and another thing to go through it yourself. Um, and I wonder what you might share, what you might offer about how you have been wrestling with that and what there is in this, you know, I would say ambiguous loss is a description of a human experience that hadn't quite been described before, right? You didn't invent the experience. You invented the language. Named it. Uh-huh. Right, you named uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Um, um, and so here we are with this magnitude as you say, it's been completely taken out of the individual level, or even sometimes it would happen to, to distinct communities. So what do you know from being in this field, from being the person who named this, to this helping you walk through these days that you might offer up to other people about walking through these days, these months, and these years ahead? I think I'm in it with everybody else, um, mm-hmm. struggling, um, and I suspect... Um, I've spent 40 years studying ambiguous loss because I don't like ambiguity. I remember when I first went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison, in one class or another, we were describing each other, and somebody called me decisive. And I took that as a high compliment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't anymore. I I mean, I've, I've come to believe in both and thinking, which I write about, Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like binary thinking unless you're working with your banker or some someone <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, and there's a middle ground, a middle way to go when you're dealing with people and when you're dealing with problems. Right? We have huge problems right now. And, yeah. and to say that someone was wrong when the pandemic began about what they thought about it, a scientist, uh, and now they think differently um, that's binary thinking and I okay. can't I can't um, I can't take it anymore and certainly with science and my background was scientific training um, we never land on this is the absolute truth and nothing else will ever change it we never go there right and I don't think the public understands that that science is um, a process 
mm-hmm. of finding the approximation of truth, and then somebody else will come along and perhaps improve upon it. That's how it goes. And it's not, it's not like um, you win or you lose. It's not that way. So I've struggled with that myself, and I think I'm at a place uh, gradually working with the people who are suffering from ambiguous loss all these years. I've learned from them that you can live with it. You can eventually not embrace it and maybe not even accept it, but you can decide to live with it. You can decide to accept it. Decide is the, the main word there. Uh, and then you can live well, nevertheless. Decide because, because, because that would be... Your choice. Your agency asserting itself. That's right. So, so you're not totally helpless. I think none of us should feel helpless. And we do now in many ways. So we have to decide how to cope Uh, with it and have some things you can control because you certainly can't control the virus yet. Right. Is that an important tool to kind of understand what you do have control over? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Even if it's really modest? (laughs) Yes. And, you know, that's why everybody's baking bread or what are they, (laughs) cleaning a cupboard. Yeah. Never. And, and, you know, maybe doing more physical exercise, um, and those are good things because you can control that. Um, and and you have to have that because we now have, we're going to have a year of not being in control of the virus. So you've got to have something you're con- in control over. I love mm-hmm. to see that so many people are cooking and baking. I think that's just lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I like that you I like actually what you're pointing out that it it is that it's it's taking it's taking charge of something that has a beginning a middle and an ending and it even has a pleasurable ending. Yes. <laughs> Cooking does or baking and uh-huh. in fact so so does cleaning so does building mm-hmm. up your body in a better way and mm-hmm. um, or learning a new language or whatever you're doing mm-hmm. it's something you chose and it does have a beginning, a middle, and an end, as you say. And that'll, that'll help you to feel less helpless during this unfortunate time. I, I want to just ask you, like, really specifically, um, I don't know, I, I find, and again, I, I, I don't, I don't want to universalize my experience, but I hear other people talking this way that, you know, I have good days and I have bad days, and I have days that start good, and then I just fall into these holes of just feeling so disoriented and despairing. And I wonder what your understanding of ambiguous loss. And I, I think it. I think one way for me to analyze those times also is just the feeling of so much. Like I have nothing to hold on to, right? Which is a. It is an experience of loss, even if it's really ordinary things. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. What? How would you? How? How might I counsel myself in those waves? To be transparent, I would say I have exactly the same waves, mm-hmm. and. What I was telling myself the other day is I'm grieving. Um, yeah. And 
you don't think you're grieving. In my case, fortunately, nobody, uh, someone in my family did have COVID, but no one died. Uh, so it must be awful for those families where someone died and perhaps they couldn't be with them or they couldn't um, have the rituals that they usually have to comfort them afterwards. Mm -hmm. But the rest of us are all, I think, because this has gone on so long, I think there are days when you should just let yourself feel sad um, and <laughs> and be easy on yourself on those days. Um, I remember one day I thought, I, I think I should do nothing but watch Netflix today. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and that's okay. And it's okay. I, I watched an old Ingmar Bergman movie, <clears throat> Which is funny because they're always <laughs> sad, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was uh, the immigrants, and it's, and that mm -hmm. took up three hours. But it was so beautiful to look mm -hmm. at that mm -hmm. I, for one thing, felt better afterwards. So maybe it's like embracing your sadness for a few hours and for that day. And mm -hmm. um, I don't think we should fight grieving. I think we have a lot to grieve right now. It's reality. Mm -hmm. And and so on those days when you feel that way, I would just embrace it if you can and uh, and be go easy on yourself. Now, I understand people with small children and, and uh, caregivers and so on um, may not be able to do that. Yeah. But I think mentally, even even making a mental note, even if you have to keep doing things that you're grieving and that you're not fighting that reality. Would you say a little bit just about how grief works on us? I mean, one thing I know about grief that I, that somehow sometimes it helps me on these days when I feel overwhelmed and despairing to, because I also feel so tired, right? Yes. And then I say, oh, yeah, like mm -hmm. grief is exhausting. Right. And somehow just naming that fact I find helpful because at least some part of me stops beating up another part of me. That's right. For being exhausted for no reason, right? Or why? Oh, we have a good reason. <laughs> uh -huh. We have a worldwide pandemic and it's cutting in on everything that we have done before. Um, so we, even the big losses, the little losses pile up after a while. And you feel sad. Now, the most important thing to remember is that grief is normal uh, mm -hmm. if you've lost something. And I would um, wager that everyone could make a list of what they've lost um, during this pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. the, the loss of whatever it is you did before. Yeah. Uh, and so grief often is not recognized because it's, it's not a very popular topic in this country. Mm -hmm. um, because we like winning, not losing. And unfortunately, sometimes we can't win at the moment we want to. So then we feel like grieving. We feel sad, but we rarely identify it as that because grief has been pathologized. And, and because of that, people are afraid to say, I feel I'm grieving today because that means you're mentally ill. You have a disorder, a grief mm -hmm. disorder. So in, in my writings, I make a strong statement that most people, for most people, grief is normal. For a minority, for 
uh, you know, the minority, the, the lower percent, maybe a quarter of people, grief may require seeing a psychiatrist or psychologist or therapist, uh, especially if, if you have this one other quality about grief, and that is that you hate yourself, uh, that your self-image is um, gone, and you may feel suicidal. Then those people need to reach out for help uh, and we need to help them reach out for professional help. But the vast majority of people can cope with sadness by human companionship, by self-soothing, by exercise. And in ordinary times, I would say, seek out uh, social connections. Yeah. And now we have to do that. Yeah, uh, that's hard now. Virtually. That's part of what's hard now. That's very hard. That's taken away from us right now. Mm-hmm. And and so we have to use the other coping mechanisms. But I think be easier on yourselves and normalize it. Know that grief, those feelings you described, mm-hmm. are essentially normal. So just take the day off or do something easy on yourself. Treat yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I was so bad one day. <laughs> um, I decided... <laughs> I need to have this hot water I'm now having instead of coffee for medical reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to have it in the best china cup in my cupboard. Right. <laughs> right. I love that. It was so silly, but yeah. it made me feel better. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I, I, I also wonder if I... I hear you about how grief has been pathologized, but I think the other dynamic now might be that like, somebody might look around and say, you know, there are people who have lost their loved ones and not been able to mourn, you know, and have that passage of death. And so how could I claim what I'm feeling as grief? Oh, right? the big and the little, the big yeah. and the little. I've learned the hard way not to judge grief anymore about who's hurting the most. Um, it just doesn't... You, you get yourself into real trouble if you go that direction. And mostly we shouldn't do it for ourselves either. For one thing, many of us have a history of grief that just piles up at times like this. That, that yeah. is that there's some yeah. memory of past grief, grief comes, past losses comes to fore now because of this big one. Do you remember when President Kennedy was shot? The nation was in tears. Yeah. And most people did not know him personally. Right. They knew him as the president, of course, but it triggered past unresolved griefs and maybe not unresolved. Uh, and, you know, I'm thinking of all the losses in my life uh, now that I, I think of these people more during, <clears throat> during this period. And I thought that was funny, and then I realized, no, I think it's normal. Uh, That's to think so of, interesting to think about, such, a, such an important piece of realization. I think a good exercise is when, when, uh, when you feel sad is to make a list of all your losses from the first time you can remember. Mm. And most people will find out it's quite a pile. Right. 
Yeah. What is the most skillful, reality-based way of being helpful to others right now? It's hard to say because it's mm-hmm. your one is constricted. Um, yeah. But I, I, you know, I'm not a luddite. I've learned to to use uh, technology um, pretty well, and I find that that's a saving grace at this period of time. The internet, the zooms, the mm-hmm. facetimes. Um, if if it weren't for that, I don't know. It would be much worse, I think. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. Stay in touch with friends, with family, in the ways that you can. Uh, have your rituals. I think rituals are very important, by the way. Uh, I've, I've, I have gone to a, f- a funeral memorial service on Zoom, and it mm-hmm. was extremely moving. Mm-hmm. And there are weddings uh, that are being done in different ways and graduations that we have to have our rituals and we have to help each other do that because without the rituals, we're going to lose meaning in the events of our lives, the good ones okay. and the bad ones. And so some of us, some people are not so big on, on you know, birthday parties and this right. kind of thing. And those of us who are, that's one way of helping. And they're small things, you know, Put a plate of cookies in front of someone's door, or mm-hmm. um, people have done that for me. Um, they go to the farmer's market because I can't, and so they put some carrots on my door. Right. Those are kindnesses that will help us get through all this. And, and I think we have to keep in touch with one another because we're social beings, yeah. In even, ways that even we can. Even if the forms feel inadequate and exactly. frustrating in their own way. I think that's what I hear you saying. Exactly. I mean, I want to, you know, I was already, I have been for a long time, completely frustrated with this thing Americans do, which is, how are you? How are you? As the first question. And it's not really a question. It's just like a verbal tick. And 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 in these last few months, I have been known once or twice to bite somebody's head off for asking me that, you know? Um, especially in the weeks after George Floyd was killed. Uh-huh. And I would be on the phone with somebody from someplace else, and they'd say, how are you? And I would just give them a long, honest answer. Well, actually, I'm in Minneapolis, and yes. these are heavy, heavy, painful days. They and were. um I don't know. I guess I want to ask you. I've been trying to find for myself, because I, I mean, I have that impulse too, right? It is the first thing that comes out of our mouth, and I'm trying to find another question that is more respectful of the moment. Like, you know, how is, how is your heart? Or and that doesn't always work. I don't know. Have you thought about this? What are some ways we could approach each other, even? Even like with, because, you know, how are you is a ritual of beginning a conversation, right? It's an empty ritual. Uh, yes, yes. Do you have a thought about this? I don't know. I, I, like, I like this as an opener. It's nice to see you because okay. we're not yeah. seeing anybody. Yeah. Uh, even if, by the way, even if it's on, on, uh, on Zoom or something, FaceTime, mm-hmm. I say that. Um, mm-hmm. And and of course I say how are you, and with this you know it's just a habit we all have. Yeah. 
And I think the question isn't so bad. What's what's um, makes it empty is people don't listen. They don't really want the answer. Right. And so they're not patient enough to listen to the answer. And I think that's what we have to change. We have to listen to the answer. Um, I asked that of a friend, and and she wasn't well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had um, major surgery that I didn't know about, and and so what can you do? You can't. You have to listen and empathize. By the way, speaking of empathy, if nothing else, I hope this population in this country has grown more empathy than we had before for one another because we were so busy flying by each other, doing our thing, and um, now I hope we notice each other more, that we become more community-oriented and not just so individual-oriented, which makes those kinds of questions empty. Right. I I like that. I I also think um, if... I think if we're asking that question in a different spirit, then mm-hmm. that will mm-hmm. that will that will somehow find expression at a physical level, right? Like if I ask you how are you, and I really mean it, and I really want to hear the true answer, um, that itself starts to shift the. Yes, I agree, happens. and it takes more time. It takes more time, but I think conversations have to be more real now. You know, mm-hmm. I really love you, um, and and say why periodically. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love the way you do this or that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that these are words that will um, give more strength and more resilience to the others. Hopefully, people say that to you as well. But you know, those of us who've been around for a while. Oh, we've survived quite a few things. Yeah. So, so <laughs> my, my first um, uh, traumatic event was World War II, mm-hmm. and I remember being afraid a lot, and mostly afraid because of seeing my parents' faces be afraid. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get through this, but we have to be kind to uh, each other during this period. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Pauline. I'm so grateful for your work and that you're in the world. My pleasure, Krista. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.